0: Chapter 9 of The White Feather. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain and is read by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The White Feather by P. G. Wodehouse. Chapter 9 Sheen Begins His Education. The Blue Boar was a picturesque inn standing on the bank of the River Severn. It was much frequented in the summer by fishermen who spent their days in punts and their evenings in the old oak parlour, were a picture in boxing costume of Mr. Joe Bevan, whose brother was the landlord of the inn, gazing austerely down on them, as if he disapproved of the lamentable want of truth displayed by the majority of their number. Artists also congregated there to paint the ivy-covered porch. At the back of the house were bedrooms, to which the fishermen would make their way in the small hours of a summer morning arguing to the last as they stumbled upstairs. One of these bedrooms, larger than the others, had been converted into a gymnasium for the use of mine host's brother. Thither he brought pugilistic aspirants who wished to be trained for various contests, and it was the boast of the blue boar that it had never turned out a loser. A reputation of this kind is a valuable asset to an inn, and the boxing world thought highly of it in spite of the fact that it was off the beaten track. Certainly the luck of the blue boar had been surprising. Sheen pulled steadily upstream on the appointed day, and after half an hour's work found himself opposite the little landing-stage at the foot of the inn lawn. His journey had not been free from adventure. On his way to the town he had almost run into Mr. Templar, and but for the lucky accident of that gentleman's short sight must have been discovered." He had reached the landing-stage in safety, but he had not felt comfortable until he was well out of sight of the town. It was fortunate for him in the present case that he was being left so severely alone by the school. It was an advantage that nobody took the least interest in his goings and comings. Having moored his boat and proceeded to the inn, he was directed upstairs by the landlord, who was an enlarged and coloured edition of his brother. From the other side of the gymnasium door came an unceasing and mysterious shuffling sound. He tapped at the door and went in. He found himself in a large, airy room, lit by two windows and a broad skylight. The floor was covered with linoleum. But it was the furniture that first attracted his attention. In a farther corner of the room was a circular wooden ceiling, supported by four narrow pillars. From the centre of this hung a ball, about the size of an ordinary football. To the left, suspended from a beam, was an enormous leather bolster. On the floor, underneath a table bearing several pairs of boxing-gloves, a skipping-rope and some wooden dumbbells, was something that looked like a dozen association footballs rolled into one. All the rest of the room, a space some few yards square, was bare of furniture. In this space a small, sweater-clad youth, with a head of light hair cropped very short, was darting about and ducking and hitting out with both hands at nothing, with such a serious, earnest expression on his face that Sheen could not help smiling. On a chair by one of the windows Mr. Joe Bevan was sitting, with a watch in his hand. As Sheen entered the room, the earnest young man made a sudden dash at him. The next moment he seemed to be in a sort of heavy shower of fists— They whizzed past his ear, flashed up from below within an inch of his nose, and tapped him caressingly on the waistcoat. Just as the shower was at its heaviest, his assailant darted away again, sidestepped an imaginary blow, ducked another, and came at him once more. None of the blows struck him, but it was with more than a little pleasure that he heard Joe Bevan call, "Time," and saw the active young gentleman sink panting into a seat. "'You and your games, Francis,' said Joe Bevan, reproachfully. "'This is a young gentleman from the college, come for tuition.' "'Gentlemen—won't mind—little joke—take it in spirit which is—meant,' said Francis, jerkily. Sheen hastened to assure him that he had not been offended. "'You take your two minutes, Francis,' said Mr. Bevan, "'and then have a turn with the ball.' "'Come this way, Mr... Sheen. "'Come this way, Mr. Sheen, and I'll show you where to put your things.' Sheen had brought his football clothes with him. He had not put them on for a year. "'That's the lad I was speaking of. Getting on prime, he is. Fit to fight for his life, as the saying is. What was he doing when I came in?' "'Oh, he always has three rounds like that every day. He teaches you to get about quick.' "'You try it when you get back, Mr. Sheen. Fancy you're fighting me.' "'Are you sure I'm not interrupting you in the middle of your work?' asked Sheen. "'Not at all, sir, not at all. I just have to rub him down and give him his shower-bath, and then he's finished for the day.' Having donned his football clothes and returned to the gymnasium, Sheen found Francis in a chair, having his left leg vigorously rubbed by Mr. Bevan. "'You fond of dogs? inquired Francis affably, looking up as he came in. Sheen replied that he was, and indeed was possessed of one. The admission stimulated Francis, whose right leg was now under treatment, to a flood of conversation. He, it appeared, had always been one for dogs, Owned too. Answering to the names of Tim and Tom. Beggars for rats, yes. And Pluckton's? Well, he would like to see, would, Francis, a dog that Tim or Tom would not stand up to. Clever, too. Why, once— Joe Bevan cut his soliloquy short at this point by leading him off to another room for his shower-bath, but before he went he expressed a desire to talk further with Sheen on the subject of dogs, and learning that Sheen would be there every day, said he was glad to hear it. He added that for a brother dog-lover he did not mind stretching a point— so that, if ever Sheen wanted a couple of rounds any day, he, Francis, would see that he got them. This offer, it may be mentioned, Sheen accepted with gratitude, and the extra practice he acquired thereby was subsequently of the utmost use to him. Francis, as a boxer, excelled in what is known in pugilistic circles as shiftiness. That is to say, he had a number of ingenious ways of escaping out of tight corners, and these he taught Sheen, much to the latter's profit. But this was later, when the Rikinian had passed those preliminary stages on which he was now to embark. The art of teaching boxing really well is a gift, and it is given to but a few. It is largely a matter of personal magnetism, and, above all, sympathy. A man may be a fine boxer himself, up to every move of the game, and a champion of champions, but for all that he may not be a good teacher. If he has not the sympathy necessary for the appreciation of the difficulties experienced by the beginner, he cannot produce good results. A boxing instructor needs three qualities—skill, sympathy, and enthusiasm. Joe Bevan had all three—particularly enthusiasm. His heart was in his work, and he carried Sheen with him. "'Beautiful, sir, beautiful!' He kept saying, as he guarded the blows. And Sheen, though too clever to be wholly deceived by the praise, for he knew perfectly well that his efforts up to the present had been anything but beautiful, was nevertheless encouraged, and put all he knew into his hits. Occasionally Joe Bevan would push out his left glove. Then, if Sheen's guard was in the proper place, and the push did not reach its destination, Joe would mutter a word of praise. If Sheen dropped his right hand, so that he failed to stop the blow, Bevan would observe, "'Keep that guard up, sir!' with almost a pained intonation, as if he had been disappointed in a friend. The constant repetition of this maxim gradually drove it into Sheen's head, so that towards the end of the lesson he no longer lowered his right hand when he led with his left, and he felt the gentle pressure of Joe Bevan's glove less frequently." At no stage of a pupil's education did Joe Bevan hit him really hard, and in the first few lessons he could scarcely be said to hit him at all. He merely rested his glove against the pupil's face. On the other hand, he was urgent in employing the pupil to hit him as hard as he could. "'Don't be too kind, sir,' he would chant. "'I don't mind being hit. Let me have it. Don't flap. Put it in with some weight behind it. He was also fond of mentioning that extract from Polonius's speech to Laertes, which he had quoted to Sheen on their first meeting. Sheen finished his first lesson feeling hotter than he had ever felt in his life. Hello, sir, you're out of condition,' commented Mr. Bevan. "'Have a bit of a rest.' Once more Sheen had learnt the lesson of his weakness. He could hardly realise that he had only begun to despise himself in the last fortnight. Before then, he had been, on the whole, satisfied with himself. He was brilliant at work, and would certainly get a scholarship at Oxford or Cambridge when the time came, and he had specialised in work to the exclusion of games. It is bad to specialise in games to the exclusion of work, but of the two courses the latter is probably the less injurious. One gains at least health by it. But Sheen now understood thoroughly what he ought to have learned from his study of the classics, that the happy mean was the thing at which to strive. And for the future he meant to aim at it. He would get the Godford, if he could, but also would he win the house-boxing at his weight. After he had rested, he discovered the use of the big ball beneath the table. It was soft, but solid and heavy. By throwing this, the medicine-ball, as they call it in the profession, at Joe Bevan, and catching it, Sheen made himself very hot again, and did the muscles of his shoulders a great deal of good. "'That'll do for to-day, then, sir,' said Joe Bevan. "'Have a good rub-down to-night, or you'll find yourself very stiff in the morning.' "'Well, do you think I shall be any good?' asked Sheen. "'You'll do fine, sir. And remember what Shakespeare says.' "'About vaulting ambition?' "'No, sir, no.' I meant what Hamlet says to the players. Nor do not saw the air too much with your hand thus, but use all gently. That's what you've got to remember in boxing, sir. Take it easy. Easy and cool does it, and the straight left beats the world.' Sheen paddled quietly back to the town with the stream, pondering over this advice. He felt that he had advanced another step— He was not foolish enough to believe that he knew anything about boxing as yet, but he felt that it would not be long before he did. End of chapter 9